Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Peter Hardy. Peter has just written and released a new book called In Search of the Messiah, and we're going to talk all about that. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Peter, can you tell me all about what you've written in In Search of the Messiah? Well, I took the 70 years preceding the birth of Christ and the 70 years after the birth of Christ, and I laid it out in a chronological fashion, and I attempted to provide some context for the life of Jesus within the greater Roman Empire and the search of the Jewish people for their Messiah and how that search got translated to the greater Roman world. Mm. I can imagine something like this might have taken you a while, considering the research and everything that would have gone into that. Was that the case? Yeah, it's something that I've had an interest in for many years, and I would make notes here and there, and I kind of like the chronological format. I was influenced by an ancient Roman author by the name of Titus Livius, who prepared a similar chronological approach to writing history for different eras of earlier Roman history. Hmm. Peter, what kinds of readers were you speaking to here? Who do you think would be really into this book? Anybody who's interested in religion or who's interested in ancient history and who wants to find the connections between those two topics, which don't seem to be talked about together very often. It seems like you either talk about one or the other. You never try to put it together. Peter, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever taken anything like this on before? No, I'm an engineer by trade. This is just something I kind of did in my spare time. And uh, it seemed like I had a lot more time over the last couple of years because we were all kind of shut in, had a lot more time to write because we were all inside the house uh, during COVID, it seems like. Must have been quite a moment for you when you got that first copy in and got to hold your first book for the very first time. What was that like for you, Peter? It was kind of a weird feeling seeing my name on there. I guess my initial thought was, what are my friends and family going to think about all this? Mm. <laughs> I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way, you know, doing this kind of thing for your first time. So do you have anything that you learned, any words of wisdom that you could pass on to people who are going to do that same thing? Well, you got to stick with it every day and you find you get better and better and you find that your style gets more disciplined. Your thinking process gets more disciplined and kind of learn how to compose and get better with the language, I think. And what I was doing, I think, was I would put in some, like, try to be funny type remarks that when you, when you go back and look at it again, that stuff doesn't really belong in there. You need, mm. got to kind of stay with your style and theme. Don't put funny lines in if you're not trying to write something funny. Things like that. What are the chances that you'll be doing this again? Do you have any ideas for more books you might be doing ahead of you? Yeah, right now I'm working on a similar type of approach for the period from 1750 to 1820. Hmm going to focus on the American and French revolutions and Napoleonic era. Once I get that done, I'm going to try to take it further from the end of the Napoleonic era to the 1870s. That'll keep me occupied for a while, I think. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Now, Peter, when you think about the whole time that you wrote and then published In Search of the Messiah, 
What was the most challenging aspect of it for you? Sometimes you get writer's block and you can't really figure out how you're going to finish a certain segment and you kind of have to put things away for a while and just give it a rest. When you hit those walls, you got to focus on something else for a while. And then you regain your uh, ability to get through things if you give it a rest for a while. Peter, did you find yourself sort of falling into a routine when you were writing this? Like maybe you'd get up in the morning and write it, or maybe you'd be writing late at night? Or did you find yourself writing whenever the time and inspiration were hitting you? No, I don't. I think that sometimes I'd be in the mood to write the evening. Sometimes I'd be in the mood to spend all day at it on a Saturday or a Sunday. I never was in routine because I had to kind of work around my day job. Mm. And a lot of times, if you're driven to write a book, you also enjoy reading. So, Peter, what kind of a reader would you describe yourself as? I like biography and history, and sometimes I'll read a spy novel or something like that. I kind of like anything that can grab you in the first few pages and keep your interest. Well, I know a lot of readers are going to find this book really interesting. Again, it's titled In Search of the Messiah. This is written by Peter Hardy, and it's published by Covenant Books. And of course, you can find it anywhere, so get on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, or get down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll get this book there. Peter, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I hope we get to talk again soon. I hope so, too. Thank you. It's been great. Sanded Soul. That's the name of the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by Tori Diedrich Lundell. And Tori is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Tori, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. It's so exciting when you get a book out there for everybody. So, Tori, can you tell me what Sanded Soul is all about? Yes, of course. So, Sanded Soul is a retelling of the Sandman. It is about Morpheus, who has a harsh punishment cast upon him. He's the god of dreams by the Knights Council. He caused an imbalance in the world and has now roamed the earth endlessly as the Sandman. So he has to go about placing his palm over the eyes of those who sleep and bring dreams to those who have lost hope during World War II. So during these times, he's just kind of going about doing his calling and not really thinking about himself at all. So a girl named Clara, an unexpected visitor from Germany, is somehow able to enter his dream world. They break the lonely change that binds him and they must find a way to battle evil that taints the existence of humanity. They're drawn into an adventure of fairy tales. Nightmares come true to very different hearts. Must work together to face unimaginable horrors. I love it. Tori, what kind of readers do you think would be really into this? So the category, it is under young adult fantasy romance. So it's like a range between 12 and 18, because that's what they categorize that specific genre in. Hmm. But my 10-year-old has read it. And I am 32 and love young adult fantasy romances. So it's about pretty much anyone can read it. It's for young adults. It can be somewhat for adults because there is a lot of war and a lot more darkness. But just like the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, it's kind of like for everyone. And I love all the elements that you've woven together here. So how did the inspiration for this come about? How did you get the idea for this? So my family, we come from Kassel, Germany. And that's where the Brothers Grimm fairy tales first originated. That's where they wrote their fairy tales. So I feel like it's kind of running through my blood. I've always loved kind of the dark fantasy kind of genre. And my family, we come from there. And I have a lineage of a lot of war in my family as well. My grandpa grew up there during World War II. And my father was in the war for over 25 years. 
the one here for Iraq. And so I kind of just got the feeling of dreams because I would have nightmares sometimes growing up. Whenever I was like my dad was away at war, I would have nightmares about it Mm. and also would have dreams. So I found dreams, the nightmares, so fascinating. So I really studied the Sandman because he's a big folklore, too, in Germany. And so like that, he is real and really brings you those things. So I really wanted to incorporate my family history into a tale. Hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. When it comes to writing a book and getting things published, Tori, is this your first time around? So this is my first novel. But it is not my first published piece. My first published piece was in ninth grade with a poem titled Imagination. And then I also had a political piece published in the newspaper when I was in high school. Hmm. But this is my very first novel. A novel is quite an undertaking. Did this take you a long time to write and edit and get published and everything? Oh, yeah. So I started in 2020, kind of baseline. I kind of had the idea in my head for years, but I started it right after I had to stop working in the medical field. So I had more time and just started jotting down because I'm someone who doesn't like to sit around. So I just jotted down until it was published just this January with Covenant Books. So it took a few years and a lot of turndowns as well. And a lot of thought of if I should just self-publish or if I should keep going. And so I kept going and finally got published by Covenant Books. What's the most rewarding thing to you about being a published author? The best thing I would say was probably, I just feel the accomplishment of it all is that you have something that you've always dreamt about and then you actually go ahead and accomplish it. Mm. It's just a thing about being an author that I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be J.K. Rowling or always wanted to be you know, Brandon Mole or someone who, you know, I aspire to. I think a lot of people are going to love this book and you ought to check it out. It's titled Sanded Soul. It's written by Tori Diedrich Lundell and it's published by Covenant Books. You can find it everywhere. Amazon and Barnes and Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick and mortar stores. Well, Tori, it's been really nice having you on the show talking about your work. I hope we get to talk again soon. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Becoming One of a Thousand Men for God. That's the new book, Just Hit Store Shelves. It's written by David Ray. And David is with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. David, welcome. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine. You know, it's really exciting. This book is available for everybody out there now. David, can you tell me what readers will expect in Becoming One of a Thousand Men for God? God has always looked at people's hearts, and I think that's one of the biggest issues we forget. It's not a contract. It's not jockeying for position. Jeremiah tells us that God searches our hearts, and he tells us that, you know, our hearts are desperately wicked, and, you know, who can know it? But yet God searches it. And so what God does is he picks people out. The funny thing, if you think about it, was it talks about that God knit us in our mother's wombs. He also forged us, and I love both those terms because they both say two different things. Knitting refers to what I like to think of is personality, your interests, all those things, your brain, all of that. And the forging, if you're familiar with what forging is all about, it's taking soft steel or soft metal and forging it in a fire, forming it into something that's useful and strong. Mm. It likens taking soft steel and making it into spring steel, which makes it even more durable and hard. 
God's word says he knew you before you were even in existence. So he has a plan for all of us. And this book examines just a bunch of people, both men and women, that God used for his purposes. Mm. David, what sparked you to write this? Where did you get your inspiration? Well, that kind of came out of my first book. About 15 years ago, I was a active police officer with the city of Modesto. And in a Bible study, and actually leading a Bible study at that time, and just out of the blue, I got this saying, and I couldn't get rid of it. And the saying is this, our why is more important than our what. And it was the Holy Spirit just convicting me of it. Hmm. And our why always speaks to motive. As cops, we're always looking at why people do what they do. So your why is your motive, and God looks at your motive because God looks at your heart. What you do is important. But it's never as important as why you do what you do. And so about a year and a half ago, I worked for an agency up here in Oregon that became very political. And I'm not a really good political person. I just believe in telling the truth. And so I did. And they just found ways to hammer me. Well, at one point, they put me on admin leave. So I was assigned to be in my house from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon for months wow. while they fiddle around with their investigation. So I'm sitting here, and, and I'd written several little short Bible studies for friends and stuff. And so I just started working on this because it just kept coming back, kept coming back. Mm-hmm. And so I got about 65 pages in it and had sent it to a friend of mine who'd become a pastor. And he sent it back to me, and he goes, David, this is a book. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a full book, but but it's becoming a book. Well, now that you've done this a couple times, I'm sure you've learned an awful lot along your journey. So, David, what advice would you give to people listening out there who are just starting out in all this? It depends on what type of book you're writing. If you're writing a book like what I'm writing, you absolutely have to have the Holy Spirit pushing you and driving you on. You've got to have that knowledge in your heart that this is what God wants you to do. The other thing is you will learn personal humility. I've written three books, and I have literally, God has drugged me through every single thing I've talked about in all three books. It's been a difficult five years. It's been a time of growing, a time of surrendering to God, of humbling myself. I can't tell you how many times I've sat at this desk and then wept. Because something that God is saying, you can't say this, David, if you don't let me deal with it. So I would tell people, get on your knees, get in your prayer closet, spend time with God, ask him what he wants you to do. You have to go where he sends you. That's the only place you're going to be fulfilled. That's the only place you're going to be happy. I know this book is going to be a blessing for so many readers. Again, the title is Becoming One of a Thousand Men for God. This is written by David Ray, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, so go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop and you can get this book. David, thanks again for joining me and telling me all about this book and your other work at a good time. Good. I did too. Sitting down right next to me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Patricia Mavros-Brexel. Patricia, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's very exciting. You have a new book out. It's titled Jesus Celebrates Hanukkah. Patricia, what can readers expect here? Well, it's a children's story, and it's also for adults. And there's a mysterious twist to the book. Hmm. 
And what sparked you to write this? Where'd you get the inspiration? Well, I did teach religion and I ran into a sister that I knew and I said to her, Happy Hanukkah. And she said, we don't celebrate Hanukkah. I said, I know, but Jesus did. And she said, no, he didn't. I said, yes, he did. It's in John chapter 10. So the next week when I ran into her, she said to me, you're right. I did not know that the feast of the dedication was Hanukkah. We know Jesus celebrated when he was older, but I made a story when he was a child as to how he might have celebrated it. Yeah, I could imagine that the title would grab the attention of a lot of people. Have you gotten a lot of that reaction? Yes, I have. Many Christians don't know that. Many Christians don't realize that. I meet Christians, they'll tell you that Jesus was not Jewish when he was on earth. Yes, he was. He was a nice Jewish boy from Nazareth. How long did this take you, Patricia, once you sat down, started writing it, and then clear up until it was done and published, ready to go out? Well, it's been in my head for years. It took me about, I started writing it last summer, so I would say it took about a good 10, 11 months. What would you say is the most challenging part of that process for you? I usually illustrate them myself, but I was just, I work two jobs. I live in New York. I had the publisher do, my other first two books I illustrated, I just didn't have time. The publisher found me an illustrator. That was the biggest challenge is time. Mm. What's your writing background look like, Patricia? Have you ever done this kind of thing before? I worked for a local newspaper for years, and Mm. I'm really a graphic artist, but there was a lovely lady there, the old editor, who I tell my stories to, and she kept telling me, you should put these in books, put these in books. And she has passed away, but my first book, Yeshua, Jesus Visits Babel, she happened to read and correct for me before she passed away. I only wish she saw it in print. Mm. So, Patricia, that day comes, the box arrives, and you open it up, and there's the first copy of your book, and you pull it out and get to hold it for the very first time, and your name's on the cover and everything. What's that moment like? It's very exciting, and it's also humbling, because if you talk to my family, I am the world's worst speller. I mean, (laughs) I really believe this is God working through me. My favorite Bible verse is God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Looking down the road, do you see yourself putting more books out? Yes, I'm going to start a series because that's actually my little granddaughter in that book and my dog. So I have another book, Stella and Shmooey in Several Adventures. Oh, fantastic. Patricia, a lot of people listening to us right now are authors just starting out in this whole thing. So what words of advice could you give them? Just, you know, follow your dream and keep trying. Don't stop. Now, Patricia, when you write, do you have a routine for it? Like maybe in the morning you like to write, or maybe you stay up late and write, or do you find yourself writing whenever you find the time and the inspiration? Yes, I'm a morning person. I get up at 4 a.m. That's when I do my best work, early in the morning, before I go to work. Who inspires you, Patricia? Either maybe somebody that you read or maybe somebody that you have a close relationship with. I would have to say I worked in advertising for several many years, and my old boss, my old Jewish boss, Dave Negrin, he was actually Jewish, and he told me a lot of things about my own religion from the Old Testament. So, and after spending eight years in a Catholic school, I felt like I learned more from my Jewish boss, and that's what inspired me to write these books. My other book, God Hates Racism, he really, that was a big inspiration on him. He's the one who told me that fact, and I researched it and found out it was true. We had a lot in common. I know a lot of readers will be blessed by this book, and I encourage everyone listening to go check this out. It's titled, Jesus Celebrates Hanukkah. This is written by Patricia Mavros Brexel. It's published by Covenant Books, 
You can get it everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Patricia, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thanks so much again for joining me. Thank you. And if, you know what? It's a great book for blended families where one parent's Christian and one parent is Jewish. Walking Miracles. It's the name of the new book by Amanda Perry, and we're going to talk all about it here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Amanda is here with me to talk about it. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Can you tell me what you've written about, what readers can expect in Walking Miracles? So I wrote about my trauma history with a, a romantic relationship as well as like growing up and then how that impacted my health as well as like how it, I was treated by the medical community because of all of that. And then I end up talking a lot about suicide in the book mm -hmm. and how that affects like because I went through a suicidal phase mm -hmm. and I also had a friend, a close friend pass away from suicide. So I talk about like how that impacts people and what creates that kind of environment in your mind. Mm -hmm. I just try and bring out like some of the topics that we have in society today that usually are closed door topics. Mm -hmm. And I try and bring those to like these things happen, but like you get to choose what happens in your life based off of your experiences. It's not your experiences that are choosing your life for you. And that's what I try and pull out. And it helped me a lot, like, when I was going through, because I was writing it as I was going through all of that. Amanda, what kinds of readers do you think you were speaking to here? So I'm trying to target a lot of people who are in abusive relationships, a lot of people who have undiagnosed illnesses. And I'm trying to normalize, like, these things happen and you're not alone. And the best way to release it is to get your story out and not keep it in. Amanda, is this your first time writing or publishing, or have you done this kind of thing before? I'm going to say both. I've been writing for a long time, but I've never published anything. And then a few years ago, I published a couple of poems that were in a book, in a magazine, a journal, and that ended up winning an award. Hmm. So I decided to publish the whole work. So how long of a process was it for you to write and publish Walking Miracles? Overall, I collected pieces because it's pieces of the book itself is poems and short stories. And like I go into like detail about everything that I experienced. So overall, it took years to create all the pieces, individual pieces. And then I pulled it all together within like a year and a half. Mm. When it came to the publishing end of things, Amanda, what did you find to be the most challenging part of it? I had some difficulties getting hold of publishers. Hmm. And then, like, when I did finally get a hold of somebody and they looked over my work, Newman Springs, I ended up going with. I was surprised that it was publishable because I was just putting it out there thinking, I just want to put it out there and get my word out there. I wasn't 100% expecting it to be publishable. <laughs> It must have been a crazy moment for you then, Amanda, when you got the first copy in and you got to look at this book. It's a real thing now, and it has your name on the cover. What was that like for you? So I was like a kid in a candy store for the first <laughs> time, and I was waiting at the post office like on tippy toes. Like, I know it's here. Like, I got really excited. Opening the box was really excited. I did try filming that 
whole thing. I'm not very good with it. So <laughs> when I did get excited over it, it was great. And then seeing the book and holding the book, it was beyond words. Mm. Like it's beyond words. Have you given some thought to maybe writing more in the future? If I do, it's going to be based more off of this book was based off the trauma and it's definitely, you can feel the anger out of it mm. that I had towards a lot of things, especially the medical community in the very end of the book. And I think the second book, now that I'm out of that angry phase, because I was writing it during the angry phase, I think the second book would be more like going into detail about how that was a survival phase. Well, I think a lot of readers are going to be helped and given hope in this book. The title is Walking Miracles. It's written by Amanda Perry, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can find it everywhere. So get on Amazon or go down to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes or down to your local brick-and-mortar store, and you'll find this there. Amanda, thanks again for joining me here on the show and telling me all about this book. I had a nice time talking. Uh, thank you. Discipleship. Discover your identity in Christ. It's the new book in stores now, written by Anton Labushakhni. And Anton is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about the book. Anton, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your time with me tonight. Can you tell me all about your book, Discipleship, Discover Your Identity in Christ? What can readers find here? Well, that is exactly what the title says. It's about identity. and. When I wrote the book, there's actually four things I focus on in this book that I believe that every believer should know and should be the foundation of our walk in Christ. And the first thing is just to understand how much our Heavenly Father loves us, and that His love is unconditional. Hmm. I made sure through the book that I mentioned that a lot. The second thing in the book that is important that I want readers to know is, you know, what Jesus did for them on the cross. Hmm. What does the finished work of the cross mean? And what does it mean that it was a substitutionary sacrifice by Jesus? What happened when he took our place and we took his? The third thing that I think is important is right through the book is for people to understand God's dealings with men through different dispensations in the Bible and to live our abundant life from victory in the current dispensation, which is the sixth one, which is the dispensation of grace. Mm. And lastly, it's important for me that people are fully convinced of what is their true identity in Christ, and then allow the Holy Spirit to guide and lead them to live in authority and receive the promises of God for their lives. That's so important, Anton. Now, you're writing to believers here. Would you say that there's anything that unbelievers could get from this book? Well, absolutely. I actually, when I wrote the book, I was thinking about people that are just before they come to Christ or the people that are just young believers. Hmm. And I think that's why the focus is God's love. I think for everybody, anybody can get something out of the book as everybody is searching for that relationship today where they really understand that they are loved and they are appreciated. And that's how God feels about us. And that's how he sees us. Hmm. I think for the unbeliever picking it up, it's going to direct them directly into knowing and understanding that they are loved by God. Anton, what inspired this book? What gave you the spark to sit down and start writing? Well, that's a good question. You know, when I realized 
there is a lot of people that don't really are in a relationship and an accountable relationship with somebody that take responsibility to help them to grow in the foundational doctrines and practices of faith and for them to grow in their relationship with God. So that was the inspiration. My wife and I was pastoring a church in South Africa, Mm. and the Lord spoke to us to equip the believers, to make sure the believers are not setting their eyes on me as a pastor, but they set their eyes on God, and they keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And that was the inspiration. Initially, when I wrote the book, it was not to publish. The book was to disciple. The book was to equip people, believers, and to build accountable relationships with the people that are in the church and to help them to grow spiritually and to mature. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a book. I wrote first chapters, but it was like a study material for the, the members in our church. And then I wrote another seven chapters, and then the wrote another seven <laughs> chapters, and then I wrote the final chapter, and then people's lives got changed. The book, the chapters that I wrote became very effective in believers' lives, and it was the church that started using that in prisons in South Africa. With that happening around me, the Lord spoke to me and said, I need to publish the book. Mm. And then I put all 22 chapters together. Well, I think this book will inspire believers and non-believers alike, and I encourage my listeners to go seek this out. It's titled Discipleship, Discover Your Identity in Christ. It's written by Anton Labushakny, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere. So go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to iTunes, or even traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you can find it there. Anton, it's been great speaking with you tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate your time. Salvation, A Call to Unity. That's the name of the new book in stores right now. It's written by Gerald R. Wessels. And we're going to talk all about this book right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Gerald is joining me now. Gerald, welcome. Thank you for being here. And thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. It's exciting. Salvation, A Call to Unity is out there for everyone now. Gerald, can you tell me what readers will find when they open this up? Well, the first thing, it is not an easy read. I'll just simply say that up front. There's a lot of scriptural reference in it. Even some of the pastors that I've talked to who've read the book, they'll have to go back and read and reread the passages to get the complete meaning each time. Hmm. So if you're looking for a light read, this book is not for you. However, I believe it's a very important book, and I believe the information in it is even more important. Mm. How are you inspired to write this book? What, what gave you the inspiration to sit down and start it? Well, the actual concept started over 20 years ago. Mm. At that point in time, actually what I was going to do is I was going to write a, another quote-unquote book on theology, which we don't really need. <laughs> I found out since that point in time that theology originally started off as the study of God. And then it kind of broke down into a a situation about what man's opinion is about God. Mm. My problem with this was, how can a relatively finite man understand an infinite God? And so with that, I went back into the scriptures. And of course, as you well know, there are many denominations and many different beliefs out there, especially even just within Christianity. And that made no sense to me. I mean, if there's one God and, there, and if the Bible is talking about that same God, it seems like everyone should be, you know, more or less on the same page. So that's what got me started into the study of the different theologies and comparing them and their beliefs 
to what God's Word actually says. And so what I tried to do, because my goal was, is to bring unity to the body of Christ, I tried to go through, and I went into some pretty, uh, I don't want to say this, delicate theologies that many people stand for. And I was trying to show it's not my opinion that counts, it's how their theology stand up against the Word of God. Mm. And with that, I try to use the Bible as the main author and not myself. And again, the stimulus is to get individuals to realize that Christians have a lot more that they are in agreement with than what they are in disagreement with. Mm. And my goal was, again, to get unity brought back into the body of Christ. Then, Gerald, this is a book primarily for believers. Would non-believers get anything, do you think? Actually, I think they would, because there's so much misteaching out there. I really believe that anyone who's willing to take the time and sit down and read it, it wasn't intended to be a difficult read, but it is a read that you are going to have to stop and think and you know comprehend it before you pr- proceed. Hmm. Gerald, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before? Nothing like this as far as a book. I did uh, do a thesis when I was in grad school, but uh, that, of course, is nothing in comparison to what this book was about. I could imagine this took you an awful long time to write and get published. Is that the case? Basically, I was reinvigorated around the first of last year, and so I had taken all of my notes and all the different thoughts that I've had, and I just sat down and I decided this is now my priority. I'm going to finish it while I'm thinking about it. And uh, I probably had it finished within six months when I actually came down to writing the whole thing. Then after all that time, after all that hard work that you put into it, Gerald, tell me about that moment when the physical copy comes in and you get to hold this book that you made for the first time. My number one feeling, I guess you could say, was relief because this has been something that has been important to me for so many years, and I always wanted to have it completed, and it was just a huge relief that I actually got it finished and got it completed. You know, just like any other goal, once you have a goal, once it's finished, you're just so, I guess you could use the word thrilled that it's done. Mm. I guess that's basically the best way I could put it. Unity is something that the Christian church is definitely in need of. This book is called Salvation, A Call to Unity. It's written by Gerald R. Wessels, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. It's available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Gerald, thank you again for joining me, telling me all about salvation, a call to unity. I had a nice time chatting tonight. It's my pleasure, and you have a blessed day. This book tells one woman's story of overcoming her life's struggles. It's titled, What It Means to Know Him. It's written by Sarah Vega, and right now we're going to talk all about this book. Sarah is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Sarah, can you tell me all about what you've written and what it means to know him? Well, this is a story, like you said, the story of this woman. And as she faces her struggles in life, she makes the common mistake that a lot of people do. And fears that God is punishing her for actions and or decisions. But as her journey continues, she learns that God is not a God that punishes her, but is really her only hope to face what is to come ahead of her. Sarah, where did the inspiration for this story come from? Well, I had a lot of struggles in my life myself, and I never doubted that God was with me. Hmm. Although 
throughout life and different ways of teaching and what people had to say didn't always go with what I believed. And then one day I started at the Grace Church and Andrew Farley is the pastor there. And the way that he did his teaching really was the first time it fell in sync with me. And I would definitely say Andrew was a big part of my inspiration on writing this book. Sarah, would you say this is a book that is written primarily for women, or is it broader than that? Actually, much broader. Hmm. My targeted readers are anyone who have ever been hurt, mistreated, left behind, or for any reason felt unloved. I want people to know that for whatever they are going through, God is the answer in every case. Sarah, before you wrote this book, before you published this, have you ever done anything like it before? No, I never had a lot of confidence in myself. I did write short stories as a kid and really enjoyed doing so, but never really believed in myself until one day I just decided I had to prove it to myself, and I did. Once you sat down and started writing it, did it take a long time before you got it finished and then published and everything? Well, the actual writing of the whole story only actually took me about two months. Hmm. But then it took a good six months after that revising it, adding to it, changing it until it was just right. And Sarah, that day came. You finally got that first copy in the mail. You got to hold it and look at this book. It has your name on the cover and everything. What was that like? I don't know if there are words that describe what that was like. Hmm. It was very fulfilling, I can say that. Do you think you'll be doing this more in the future? Absolutely. I'm only a couple chapters away from a book I'm writing right now, and it's already twice as long as this first book. Is that sort of a continuation of this, or are you writing about other things? No, it is a completely different story, same concept. The stories that I write all target on the message of where Christ fits in it. And when you look back over everything so far, Sarah, what's the most rewarding thing to you now of being a published author? Being able to prove to all those throughout my life that said I could never achieve anything, Mm. being able to prove them wrong. And if somebody came up to you, Sarah, and they said, hey, you just published a book, I want to publish a book too, what advice could you give them? I would say definitely put the effort in and create the story. Don't hesitate. And I would highly recommend Newman Springs because Mm -hmm. for somebody like me that had no idea what I was doing, they were a huge help. And when it comes to the publishing end of things, Sarah, what did you find the most challenging part of that? I guess I would say the most challenging part of doing the publishing is just not being able to do it quick enough. (laughs) (laughs) Having that patience, huh? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And when you were writing, you said this took you a couple months to do. Did you ever hit a challenging moment like writer's block or that time you just didn't know what to write next? Absolutely. There were a few very important parts in the story that I just was having a hard time getting my wording right to achieve what I wanted the reader to get from it. And those were the parts that took me several months later of revising and changing until I had it just right. The title is What It Means to Know Him. It's written by Sarah Vega, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and you can get it everywhere. Get it on Amazon, get it at Barnes & Noble, get it at iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Sarah, it's been really nice having you on the show and learning all about your work. I had a nice time. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it myself. Family, traditions, and celebrations throughout the year. 
That's the name of the new book, just came out, written by Sheila Kovach. And Sheila's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about the book. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. This is really exciting. Family, traditions, and celebrations throughout the year is in stores now. Sheila, what can readers expect when they open this up? Well, I'm a Christian fictional short story collection writer. So all my stories in my books have a common theme, and a reader can be inspired to read short stories because it's a little bit different than a novel because you can read a short story and put it away for a bit and then go back and the next story is completely different. They're all individual stories based on individual storylines, and I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So far, this is my second book. Oh, wonderful. Well, how did this collection of short stories come together? Where'd you get the idea? How are you inspired? Well, I wrote my first book, Hello, Everyone Has a Story, and it was about meeting people on the walking path. This one came together because I had a lot more stories to tell. Mm. And being as I'm the age that I am and growing up in a large family and having had a large family, I felt that I had some really humorous and interesting stories that I could infuse with moral and a value or thought-provoking idea that my Christian readers and my baby boomer readers would enjoy. One of the main emphasis, and it's on the back of the book, is that we make families throughout our lives, and not everybody stays as tight with their blood family as the families they make in their life, whether it be your church family or your work family or the people you have something in common with. There are a lot of stories in the book about these untraditional kind of families, but that's just the way we are in our lives. Sheila, what does your writing background look like? Have you done this much throughout your life? No, I didn't even write until I was 60 years old, even though I was interested in writing. I just felt motivated and pushed to do it. And I, I kept thinking of these stories in my head, and I finally decided to put them down on paper. And as I began to write, I created more and more stories, and my husband and my daughter indicated that, hey, Mom, if you just write a few more stories, maybe you could make enough for a book. Hmm. How long of a time frame are we talking about from when you first decided, hey, I'm going to sit down and start writing, clear up until you got to put the books together? Well, it took a little bit to put the first one together, but it came together a lot more quickly than the second book. The second book, well, I'll just say this, I'll be 66 in August. So in the six-year span, I've, I've got completed two books, but I've actually written 78 stories. Wow. Because there's 40 stories in the first book, and there's 38 in the family. It took a long time for finding a publisher because I was unknown. Hmm. I've put myself in a very special niche because I'm a Christian writer. I'm also a short story collection writer, but they're fictional. My stories are very similar to chicken soup from the soul kinds of stories that are in those books. Even though those are all true stories, mine are fictional, but it has the same flavor. Mm, I love it. Sheila, do you think you'll be writing, releasing a third book? I do have the outlines for several stories for a third book. I'm kind of interested in doing the third book. I mostly write in the winter time, so I probably won't be putting a whole lot together this summer because my husband and I do a lot of stuff. We travel a lot and we do a lot of things. We live in wonderful Wyoming, and believe me, we're out in the country all the time. We're either mushroom hunting or horn hunting or 
were regular hunting or just sightseeing and scouting for animals and those kinds of things. It's the wonderful opportunities we have living in Wyoming. So I probably won't really sit down and get real serious about it until later, once winter comes. Well, I think a lot of readers are going to love the positivity in this book, and I encourage everyone out there to go check it out. The title is Family, Traditions and Celebrations Throughout the Year. This is written by Sheila Kovach. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and it's available everywhere. So go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or your local bookstore, and you'll be able to find this there. Sheila, it's been great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much again for joining me. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to tell my stories and to let others know that it's available for them to also maybe possibly sit down and write some stuff about their families and their traditions and celebrations. The Battle for Amphitrite, a Carletta novel. That's the new book in stores now, written by S.A. Connolly, we're going to talk all about it. S.A. is joining me right now. S.A., welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. The Battle for Amphitrite, this is actually book two in the Carletta series. So, S.A., could you give us a little background on the series in general and then tell us about book two? All right. Well, the first book in the series, Carletta, begins with the main character, Bridget. She's 15 years old, and she's been stranded on this island for the last six years until she finds out that her destiny is to become the destroyer of evil. It's in a magical land, so she's a witch, but she is supposed to be the most powerful witch that the world has seen at this point. Hmm. So when she realizes that that is her destiny, she goes after the man who killed her father and took over her kingdom. And then she goes on to fight battles with him and make a lot of friends along the way. And the first book takes about two years of her life. It's quite a thick novel. But that leads us to the second book where Bridget is about 19 years old. And the final battle in the first book has already ended. And peace has come to the country once again until suddenly peace is no longer there because unfortunately as the destroyer of evil there's always one more evil that you're going to have to face unfortunately that never ends so the battle for infantrite takes place mostly under the deselvian sea in the kingdom of infantrite which from the first novel we meet bridget's mermaid friend alaska and her father has just been murdered by a sea serpent in that kingdom, and she is now the queen, but there are a lot of problems in that kingdom. Whoever has convinced the sea serpents to attack is still after Alaska's crown. So Bridget grows a tail and becomes a magical creature and goes down there to fight the sea serpents and find out who exactly is behind the attacks on Alaska's kingdom. But not only that, Bridget, for the last two years, has left Carletta, and she's been in the war-torn country of Celine, which is right next door. And she's been trying to help them rebuild and help them get their government back. Well, while she is underneath the DeSelvian Sea with Alaska, there is yet another coup for her crown as Queen of Celine. So in the middle of the second book, we see Bridget kind of fighting a war on both fronts. She's fighting for that kingdom of Celine and fighting for the kingdom of Amphitrite 
all the while, all she wants to do is get back to her home kingdom of Carletta so that she can have a normal life because she's a 19-year-old girl at heart. She really just wants a normal life, but this legacy and this destiny has been forced on her. So we kind of see her grow and change as a character and her character development and those of her friends and her enemies just kind of build in this second novel. Now, Heather, being that your main character is a 19-year-old, was that the audience that you're going after, the teen readers? Yes. Yes. Carletta originally began as a young adult geared novel, with the first book being she was 15, the second book she was 19. Mm. But I've noticed from a lot of the book signings that I've done over the past couple of years since the first book has been out, that adults in their 30s and 40s actually do enjoy this novel Mm. and the genre as well. But mostly, yes, it is geared toward young adults. And after this one, do you have more planned? I do. I leave this book on a cliffhanger. So Mm. sorry about that. (laughs) But there is a third book that I am currently working on right now. And then there will be a fourth book. And that is where I will end it. This will be a four-part series. Oh, wow. Do you ever get writer's block? You ever start writing, then you get stuck? You have no idea what to do next? I do. I get writer's block. (laughs) Thankfully, I have a friend who he will sit there and he will help me work it out and we'll talk about it. And he's phenomenal when I have my writer's block, but Mm. I get it occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this novel is quite the adventure and I encourage my listeners to definitely check it out. It's titled The Battle for Amphitrite, a Carletta novel. This is written by S.A. Conley and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing and it's available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. S.A., thank you so much for joining me and telling me all about this really exciting book. I enjoyed our time tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.